0: It, it did not take long to go off the rails, huh? You had to
1: get up and, yeah, I mean,
2: it's You know, this, this, this music moves me. Um, to my to my core, so I, I wanted to I wanted to start with something fun and authentic and connected to our, our last our last podcast.
1: Well, this, this is kind of disappointing because you had a chance to correct the mistake from last time and lead us in with Ariana Grande because she is Italian, you know. And, and but no, no, you you know you went traditional again. Because why give me what I want? You know, I'm, I'm, you know it's. That's okay. But uh, what, what was that? Because uh, obviously it was not Ariana Grande, which I will you know hold against you for at least the next two weeks. Um, but what was Well, it that? could have been like a
2: family member. That was called uh, La Bella um, Catarina. It was by the uh, Workers' Chorus. It was recorded in the 1970s. Uh, I chose it because it, in some indirect way, connects our previous podcast, which was Champagne, um, to our podcast today. Champagne is a Latin word uh, basically comes from uh, the word campagna, which means unforested fertile land. Um, and uh, it also happens to be one of my favorite wine regions in France and my favorite, probably my favorite wine region in in Italy. It's an old historic area. Yeah, it's
1: it, see it's finally awesome.
3: the French do know now who they have to thank to for their name. at <laughs> least <laughs> the, the people from campaign, right?
1: <laughs> we were so nice to France for the first three or four of these. You know, we, we felt like we had to pull back. So if you're if you're watching the the video portion, you just heard Chiro Perone. Um, welcome to the bottom of the bottle. I'm Adam Cataldo. Uh Mandy Gonzalez was the other guy that you heard, and then you just heard Chiro who, who works with us. Uh, I'm not going to forget to introduce us again for the third week in a row. Uh it's thank you so much. Um Chiro, as I said, he works with us. He honestly, it's he's doing us a favor by being here. Um, We jokingly say, Manny and I say that we're not experts. Uh, Chiro is, uh, uh, and I do not say that lightly. Um, When it comes to Italian wine, just the he is a walking encyclopedia. Uh, I'm going to stop saying nice things about him because I think his ego is big enough, and he does not need his tires pumped by me. (laughs) But uh, so if if you in general, I tell you to ignore everything that I say normally and listen to Manny. Um, that goes double today with, with Chiro. He, he's the guy. So, um, Chiro, thank you so much for being here and, and taking the time. We, I mean, we appreciate it. So,
3: I have to say that awesome. I was really loving the introduction until you got to the ego part, which I, I don't <laughs> do. But that, that being said, uh, it's uh, it's it's great to be here with you guys. Obviously, you guys are doing something terrific with these... Uh, uh, video podcasts—they've uh, been really, really interesting for me to listen. Um, although I could care less about French wine, but they've been really, very, very interesting and fascinating. Um, and uh, really, uh, you know, it's been great to to to. to and now, is it, uh, most
2: is, it trying, is it trying to decipher Adam? Is <laughs> it is it trying to the interesting thing trying to decipher Adam's accent?
3: Right right so it's great to be part of and uh and you know talk everything uh, obviously italian wine but you know most importantly campania which is where i'm from and and hopefully we can make a very interesting con- con- conversation for people that be watching and listening later on they can learn something about this I think really, you know, beautiful is an historically important region, and obviously the many things that come with it might as well be obviously culture, traditions, food, wine, which is what we're here for. Uh And uh yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Salute! Ciao, ciao tutti. That's my favorite line.
1: <laughs> I think I think it's really important and. The, I mean, you just said I was gonna, I was gonna probe you for it, but you just said it. You're, you're from this region originally, uh, and Manny and I probably could have done this without you, uh, but there's, there's a connection I appreciate the vote have. of confidence. By the way. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> well, you know, hey, look, you know, uh, but it's just, we, it's, it, it's the, aside from your expertise, I mean, you, you have an emotional connection to this place too, that just adds a, a you know, a, a layer to, to what, you know, we're going to be talking about it. We've said it several times, why is an emotional experience? And if you, if you don't have that piece, um, you in my, you're missing something if you don't have that emotional connection in some way. And and you have a really significant one with these, which is why I think it's it's all the more important to to have your perspective. It, you you bring that when, when we talk about these wines. Um we normally start with, with history. Is that cool with you? Sounds great to me. All right. Um in general, um, we normally guys, if you've listened before, the, the five of you who've returned, that's awesome. I thank you. I, I actually, well, Chiro's here. So the four of you that aren't Giro who have listened before, <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh we normally this is the conversation. We're gonna pretty much continue to do that. Um uh, but with this region in particular, having Chiro here and you know, Manny being the, the the bright one normally, I'm gonna do a lot more facilitation after I after the history portion is done. So um again, pay attention to Chiro. Um, Campania, I mean, we're we're going back, you know, what, 3,000 years talking wine history. I mean, it's a a long, long time. And it's a region not just steeped in in actual, like, natural history and so on, but mythology, too. Um, It's one of the most interesting places, you know, in not just Italy, but but, but in the world. Uh, You know, Naples is in is in Campania. And even the story of Naples, so we we, we go back to the Odyssey with with Ulysses, Odysseus, whichever translation you want to use. Um, So Naples, you know, as far as the myth goes, um, was built around a monument of, um, I'm going to butcher this this poor siren's name, uh, Parthenope, and so she was one of the sirens who were trying to lure Ulysses off the boat as he was coming back from the, from the Trojan War. If you guys don't know the story, uh, the sirens lured uh, sailors off their boats and then wound up, wound up killing them. So Ulysses, what he did, he tied himself to it. He had his crew tie himself to the mast so that he couldn't get away because he wanted to hear the siren song. And then put beeswax in the ears of all his, his sailors so they would be safe. And... Because he heard the song, he was drawn uh, to uh, Parthenope, and but he couldn't get out, and the sailors wouldn't let him go. And it was so devastating to her to have Ulysses hear this song and not come to her. She became distraught, uh, fell in love with him because he was so powerful, and you know, and whatnot, and you know, jumped off a cliff and dashed herself against the rocks. And, you know, she was found by uh, by the Greeks who then built a monument to her and around that monument eventually became Naples. So and that's that's just the myth portion. That's not even really history. so steeped, steeped in in just culture and history and mythology. Um, I just it's a really cool spot. I mean, like. I just, you know, there's. 2000 years of history I didn't just touch on so I mean Manny Chiro if you want to jump in and, and fill in fill in that gap that large gap I just left there that'd be awesome.
2: I, I will say that that is that's actually how I met my wife the same the same story <laughs> except, I, except I was the siren you know. Clearly. <laughs>
3: I guess I mean I guess yeah, my, sure. my my life differently um, because uh, I used a, a magic potion we call love potion in Campania which is nothing else but a um, you know almost like a, a, a anchovy juice right uh, which uh, smells terrible but at the same time it's got one of the most profound flavors you will ever taste into a, you know into a dish and I guess she fell in love with me with that. Uh, but uh, thank you for the interaction. That was great, actually, because uh, yes, Campania is probably one of the most historical regions of Italy, um, and because of where it is, you know, in southern Italy, yes, the Greeks had such a major influence, and specifically on our capital city being Naples. Uh, outside of the you know mythological origin, yes, you know, obviously Na- Naples stands for Neapolis, which means the new city in Greek, uh, and the Greek played a major role, and they settled there in the 8th century BC, so they've been around for a very, very long time, and they truly influenced our culture in many different ways, and our cities, and, uh, you know, everything that came after that. And uh, and obviously, after the Greeks, which really played this very important role, you know, there were other civilizations that, that came, the Samnites, which most importantly, as a matter of fact, there is an area of Campania where a lot of wines come from, you know, the area of Benevento, around Benevento, the territory is called Sanio, in reference to the Samnites, which were basically these ancient populations. And the Samnites were like really strong fighters. You know, they didn't want to give up their land until, you know, obviously the Romans came, right? The Romans came and they really, you know, fought hard. As Rome went from being this tiny, like spit on the map, really like a tiny village and eventually grew to become a city. And from there, you know, republic and so forth, you know, the Romans started, you know basically conquering more and more land first south and then eventually they moved north and obviously the romans took over and now they as you mentioned there was kind of like this moment of translation between the you know the greek you know culture and divinities and the roman culture and divinities because obviously the romans absorbed a lot that the greeks had to offer just as much as they absorbed a the lot with the etruscans had to offer from the north and eventually they, 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 you know, the Romans weren't really believers in any gods, you know, they didn't care. They just want to conquer the land, they wanted to expand the empire and so forth. But at some point through their history, they started absorbing these gods that the Greeks offered, right? As a matter of fact, in reference to wine, right, you know, the ancient Dionysus with the Greek god of wine, and the Romans just turned the name into Bacchus right? And so forth happened with many other gods because again that tells about the fact that the cultures interplayed, you know, the Romans were taking the best that the Greeks had to offer when it comes to, when it came to philosophy, when it came to mathematics, when it came to many other, you know, obviously agriculture, the Greeks really brought a lot of their incredible, you know, uh, uh, already know-how, if you will, that was going back several centuries when it came, came especially to viticulture, which was incredibly relevant. Uh, Myself, I'm from Salerno, which obviously it's uh, about 45 minutes south of Naples. And uh, it's a beautiful city. Actually the name of Salerno comes from Sirena or Siren, right? So just tying into what you were saying earlier and uh, it's a beautiful city obviously people are familiar with the Amalfi Coast and uh, and you know Capri and all the beautiful coastline located in the area and, and actually interestingly enough in Salerno there is the oldest uh, um, medical um, school of the you know basically in Europe uh, that goes back to medieval times. It was funded at a time by between you know Jewish and Arab and and a local at the time, because there was a necessity for this medical school, which was kind of the predecessor of the current universities. So lots of history there, very, very fascinating. um, And obviously, Campania, the name itself, you know, the Romans gave this name of Campania felix, the fertile land, because uh, Campania, even today, when you think about food, right, I'm sure we talk about food, uh, so many of the agricultural products, like the San Marzano tomatoes, but same is true for the, you know, many other, you know, products and also byproducts like mozzarella di bufala and things like that come from this very fertile very rich soils that obviously originated and you know were mentioned in different ways so uh really beautiful piece of land you know um although as its challenges like any other place in the world so uh, hopefully we won't talk about that
2: <laughs> are you talking about soccer
3: no no actually soccer it's a great point because in my hometown team which is called salernitana I uh, just got promoted to Serie A, the top league for next season. So it's actually cheers to that. Um, no, I was talking about the criminal organizations, which is oh. a very different
2: thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, w- I I I I always thought Chiron was a hockey fan, so uh, I didn't even know we like soccer. So yeah, there you go, I, I just learned something new. <laughs> okay. I think
2: soccer, is, soccer is the Italian version of of hockey. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, that's,
3: my son is playing both uh, uh, soccer and street hockey. And it, by the way, it wasn't my idea. It was my wife's idea. But he's really enjoying street hockey. And actually, I don't mind it either. It's re- pretty fun. So it, it, it's good. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> y- Your wife is brilliant so, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, so the, the, there's one thing we, we, we didn't touch on there. Um, I'm curious to get... Uh, Actually, both your opinions on, because uh, it, it relates to soil and, and terroir. We talked about terroir a lot uh, when we were doing France, and it's it's so important to Italy as well. Um, you, I think everyone, maybe not everyone, but many people have heard about Pompeii and the volcano and the destruction that it caused and, and so on. Um, volcanic eruptions of those sites, and there was more than just that. We know Pompeii, but there were a couple others that happened in this region too. That was an active volcano for a long time. Um, Volcanoes change the the soil and, and the terroir and bring, um, you know, uh, a unique quality to, to that to that growing region that you don't see in other places that don't have that type of volcanic activity. Uh, so I mean, it's again not not having the map of Campania in my head as as you do, Chiro. Um, does would did those events? Do you think did that affected the, the the soil long term is that does that do we see that in the wines that we're drinking today can can we go back to that point and kind of see that as a turning point as far as you know soil goes and minerality and 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 so on and so forth
3: yeah yeah i mean for sure obviously many you jump in because i i uh, um i want to I know if there is any relationship with champagne in france first of all mm. because obviously this is the, the the Campania was the leeway from Champagne in France. Was there any of that
2: there? Because obviously, yes, in Campania, there is a lot of that to talk about. Yeah, I mean, well, Champagne, the soils are different because that whole area was was underwater. It's not as mountainous as like, when you get to the interior of Campania and like the, the foothills of the Apennines. Um, so our soils, our soils, like they're our soils, but the soils <laughs> are, <laughs> are um, it's more of a chalky soil. So there's a lot of salinity. Uh, there's a ton of fossils. Um, whereas I think, like in Campania, you get more of like iron and, in, um, you know, the volcanic soil is definitely going to change. Like the, all the nitrogen in the soil, which probably helped to make it a fertile land, uh, you don't really see it in in Champagne, you know, much at all.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, in Campania because of uh, w- w- where it is, it's kind of along this curve, this arch, if you will, that is called the Calabrian Arc, which practically is the arc where all the volcanic activity is taking place, the still active volcanic activity. Because obviously, Italy, you know, has got volcanoes scattered throughout from the Alto Adige all the way south. But this, uh, in this, as you enter southern Italy and obviously Campania, it's when uh, um, volcanic activity is in full throttle. And in Campania specifically we have several you know uh, volcanic um, uh, volcanoes and volcanic areas such as you know Vesuvius the most important that you were referring to to Pompeii and Herculaneum but also there's the Flegreian fields right the Campi Flegrei which is implies the fields of fire in Latin which is also in the Bay of Naples and it's a super volcano still active it's a, it's a caldera and then in the north, which is where also the winery we're talking about is located, there is the, another volcano, although in that case is extinct, called Rocca Monfina. So obviously, yes, the volcanoes really have shaped the landscape of the region, have shaped the history of the region, and, and most importantly, for sure, have shaped the food and the wine of the region, because yes, the many volcanic eruptions, yes, the famous one in Pompeii in 79 you know, AD, that's the one that everybody's in their mind, Everybody has a clear picture because many, many movies, stories, books and whatnot for for obvious reasons, because totally covered and actually benefit for us that we live 2000 years later preserved Pompeii, right? When you think about an Herculaneum even more than Pompeii, they were preserved because otherwise it would would have been a total loss. We would have never known what was going on there. Versus today, there's still, I used to go to Pompeii every year growing up. It's only 20-25 minutes from Salerno. It's right in between Salerno and Naples. Uh, and, And we would go and obviously as a kid, I was fascinated by the ruins, but I wasn't really like, oh my god, let me find out. But it is incredible to see that there is still an arena, you know, kind of like small version of the Colosseum that Pompeii had, you all know, the various streets with the houses, you know, partially destroyed, you know, the, the remnants of the people, you know, they were totally, basically, as they tried to escape or some of the poor ones, they couldn't really escape. And they were hit by this, you know, basically pyroclastic eruptions, you know, the surges and the heat and all that, and they immediately died and then eventually they were covered by all the pumice and the ash that flew in the air from the explosion. And they preserved Pompeii in a really magical way that uh, it's really like going back in time, really in that case, like going back in time 2000 years, which is fascinating. And wine in the case of Pompeii was, was incredible. Like just recently they rediscovered um, this thing called the Thermopolium or Thermopolium in Italian, which is the idea of a wine bar. Partially Pompeii was uh, you know a wealthy city, Obviously, the playground of the Romans was kind of like the Las Vegas of the time, if you will, right? Um, and this, I'm only saying this, uh, but don't quote me because many uh, suggested I should say Pompeii was the, the the Roman city at the time that had most brothels, right? So that kind of also tells you about. Uh, I, I did if, not. I did not say that. You, <laughs> you did, I, you but wanted, I'm glad I know. <laughs> you you want you a true perspective, and I'm giving you the perspective here. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise not um, But anyway, Pompeii was a uh, super vital, super alive, and things were going on. And obviously a lot of people, the poor people, they had you know very small apartments, if you will, where there was no kitchen, nothing, you know, just enough to sleep and whatnot. And a lot of people would stop at these wine bars. They were basically at this almost like amphora built into the into the counters, right? I mean, it was made out of clay. And eventually they would scoop up some food, some drink, whatever it was. And then eat it right there, or maybe eat it on the way home. So kind of it actually tells you a lot about why, us Italians, in southern Italy but also in the north, people still have a, it's, it's big the idea of the aperitivo. It's big the idea of congregated in the public places and you know having some drinks, some light food, and then eventually you go. Obviously, today things have changed. We do have uh, you know kitchens in our in our houses, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, but 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 it's very fascinating, and that's really ma- magical to go to Pompeii because. Uh, And you can see that, you know, first hand and they they keep digging because obviously there's a lot of work to be done, but there's so much. But yeah, um, just to go back to the main point, yes, volcanoes have incredibly shaped Campania, might as well be in Pompeii and nearby Vesuvius, but also might as well be inland Campania where the mountains are, right, the Apennines. Obviously there's no volcanoes per se there, but these eruptions that have taken place, uh, the winds, that come in from the Mediterranean Sea have blown all the materials to eventually create a topsoil in these areas. So things are very different, very scattered, you know, but uh, very unique and um, fascinating.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm curious what some of the ancient pickup lines in these these uh, wine bars in uh, Pompeii were. I don't know if you have any insight.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, um, Listen, I'm wearing a special apron for you today just because uh, of that. But um, well, I don't know what exactly were the pickup lines, but most likely they were in Latin. So unfortunately, I never studied Latin. <laughs> I, can't, I can't
1: really tell you that. You know, he Chiro, he denies wanting to know about the brothels, but then he asks you about the pickup lines in <laughs> the wine bars back in Pompeii. So it's he's my not helping himself right now. <laughs>
3: One of the places I loved the most as a kid going to in Pompeii, which was incredibly uh, well well preserved, it's called Casa delle Lupanare, and Lupanare was a term for obviously the ladies of the night at the time, and and, everything was done in an incredible way. Everything was organized and you go into this house, right, all built in stone, and you have these micro rooms, which basically you could only fit the bed. That's all there was there. Um, but yeah Pompeii, anyway the, the whole system there was very organized and uh, things worked out very well I guess especially if you were wealthy I would say
2: So the the one thing that I think pivot. is really fascinating with,
1: um, <laughs> what was that I was okay the, the pivot from <laughs> volcanic soil to brothel was just it was so, it was so seamless I'm sorry continue. <laughs>
2: It's, it gets really hot there. Um, so one thing that I think is really fascinating with with Campania, you know, like in Italy in general, but I think specifically Campania, and, and you see it also in in um, Piemonte, uh, is this attention to indigenous grapes. Um, you know, you don't see, we're not blending in Bordeaux varietals. You're not seeing, I mean, I, I've seen a couple of producers from Piemonte, you know, with Chardonnay. Um, It's not common, but that climate seems to make more sense than um, other areas of Italy, where where you'll see Chardonnay grown. But the fact that the the varietals in Campania have always maintained this integrity of culture and history, for me is one of my my favorite things about it because the varietals are old, unique. Um, What is it about the Campanian culture that has, if there is a connection, with the Campania culture to maintain the history and not not bastardize it with varietals that might be popular for for an American market.
3: Yeah, no, that's a great point. It's very true. Um, there was a time in Italy, uh, outside of the like you know Tuscany, where some of these grapes always been around and adapted. That things were shifting that were trying to make them shift that way in Campania too, because people starting to realize, like Adam mentioned, Italy is full of you know obviously native varietals challenging to understand sometimes for people and whatnot. But in Campania, when there was people that were, were starting to play in some of these international varietals, but there was uh, you know producers from the bigger ones, the historical ones, like Mastro Berardino and others, they, they totally you know, refused to work with these varietals because again, Campania, it's, it's a region, sometimes too much, but a region of tradition. We're very staunch traditionalists, you know, and might as well be, it's not just the regional. Sometimes it's town to town, village to village, door to door, which is to the point that sometimes you can't agree upon anything at all. But that being said, in the case of viticulture and, and specifically this native also really, you know, uh, protected them from really going extinct because you got to figure some of them, they are just locally grown in very tiny territories. And if you start planting Chardonnay or maybe Sauvignon Blanc or whatever the case might be, these grapes were gonna extinct. You gotta figure in Campania, and it's true for most of Italy, these grapes had to face so many dramatic moments, which was not only phylloxera, which was not only the end of mezzadria or latifundia, you know, the sharecropping system where people wanted to grow the max that they could because obviously they had to give back to the landowner, so they had to keep whatever they could for the family. And then other effects of, you know, the European Union giving money to the producer to, you know, uproot vines to focus, so there were so many, you know, facts, and uh, fortunately, Campanians were the ones that uh, loved uh, to continue to, and they believed, strongly believed uh, in the tradition and the quality of the grapes. Because if you think, think about it today, really in Campania there are uh, there are two uh, appellations which are focused the DOCG level anyway for white wines, which is kind of rare for most of Italy, and obviously there's some for red wines too, and also Fiano and. Uh, Aianico, they're considered to be two of the so-called uh, um, uh, great grapes of Italy, you know, from the south, specifically the two top ones. So that tells you a lot about how much was done and how much people believed in it. And, and it's great to see that these grapes today are thriving, although still relatively small overall, but they are thriving and people continue and plant them more than they ever were before. Yeah.
2: yeah. Are there different areas, like throughout the, the different DOCs, and DOCGs with like the different um, <coughs> areas where you see more of a focus of specific varietals of, of at least like the, the core four that we think of when we think of, of Campania. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There is, um,
3: uh, other than Falangina in Ayanico, uh, which are Falangina specifically, it's our. And when I say this, uh, I don't mean Pinot Grigio in the sense of like a, a lackluster, flavorless type of wine, but I mean Falangina in the sense that it's more of a region-wide varietal that you find it in the Benevento area, you find in Avellino, you find in Salerno, you find in Caserta, along the coast, inland, a little bit everywhere, right? And same is true for a Iannico, which has traveled a little bit everywhere. Then when it comes to, say, Greco, which is the grape of, obviously, Greco di Tufo, it's only... For the most part, anyway, planted in in the area of Tufo, right? Think, yeah, I think about it. Greco only represents three percent of overall Campania, so I think uh, it's micro, right? Same is true for Fiano, and same is true for some minor grapes like Biancolella on the island of Ischia or Piedirosso along the coast. So we actually Campania, interestingly enough, outside of the popular bigger grapes that people might be familiar with, there's uh, an incredible amount of native varietals which are. You know very minimally planted but still planted because again that provides a sense of uniqueness not only of the varietal you're using but also to the specific area where you are. Like if you're on the Amalfi Coast in the province of Salerno, Falangina is an element but it's no longer the primary element. It becomes like uh, you know uh, f- Fenile, obviously Biancolella and there's other grape varietals red and white, you know like uh, Palum, the f- famous Rosso. So so that's kind of like the cool thing about Italy and Campania as well where every everybody does their own thing with their own local grapes because they adapt ideally in a certain place versus another. So, so can, that's that's, that's yeah.
1: Can we pivot really just backwards for a moment for um for people who might not be as familiar with wine in, in general um not even just Campania. So um when we talked about France in previous week we had AOCs. Uh, in, in Italy, their their own they have their own system. When um, the DOC and DOCG, I'm going to ask you to pronounce them in a moment because, as you all know, I can't speak English. I can't pronounce as. More or less, try to pronounce what, what those stand for. So, uh, but but that's kind of their system for um, regulation and for for. And to a to a certain extent, you know, quality designation I- as well. And then, cheer, if you could, after um, you do that, just uh, kind of give a brief, like, hey, what are the th- what are the four, five, six main grapes of Campania? Because when 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 we said Falanghina, but if someone's ever heard the word Falanghina before, they might not know that's a grape. They might have seen it on a bottle thought it was a blend or something like that. So, uh, yeah. if you could please,
3: yeah, yeah. As far as the the Appalachian system. Yeah, it was was shaped after the French appellation system in a very similar idea. Or oh, the French have AOC, AC, and whatnot. Italians in Italy, anyway, we have the DOCG, Denominazione di Origine Controllata e Garantita, and DOC, which would be the next step below that, Denominazione di Origine Controllata, which are not necessarily qualitative, uh, you know, steps, although. They started to be to, to be that, but eventually they're not necessarily the case, but they're more, one is more restrictive than the other. Sometimes it matters with be the territory or the history of the wines produced and things like that. Um, but it is a system that regulates the production of wine. So at the end of the day, if you do buy a Fiano di Avellino or a Taurasi or something like that from Campania, you know that is a DOCG wine produced in that territory that is a sp- specific peculiarities to make the wine what it is versus just buying a generic Iannico, right Uh, and it's true for any region of Italy for that matter. When it comes to yes the main grape rival, really there are four and it's quite unique about Campania although the red wine um, the the Taurasi of the world for the longest time has been named I think improperly but the Borolo of the south but that being said, again gained popularity through this like uh, you know wording. Uh Campania is very well known for white grapes because there are three that really are world-class, one being Falangina, probably the uh, most ancient of them all, which is the one that is definitely more popular out there. You see in stores, you see in restaurants, you know, definitely people have caught on for, for some, you know, some some people anyway. And then there are the, the other two ones, which are the two, the highest quality, one being Greco which is Greco di Tufo wines, and the other one being Fiano, they mix the Fiano di Avellino. And on the right side of things, yeah, there you go, I got the Greco di Tufo. And on the other side of things, there is the red, which is Aglianico. Aglianico is obviously the the key grape of uh, Southern Italy and the most um, important red grape of Campania. So these are the grapes which you would see on a label. Sometimes, again, because of the appellation system, just like in France, in Spain, and you know many European countries, you're not necessarily gonna see the name of the grape. That's kind of a challenge, understanding sometimes Italian wines and what's in the bottle. Because again, uh, uh, the idea is to connect to a place and the traditions of that place and what that place is all about might as well be volcanic soil, high elevation, Mediterranean climate, this and, and that. And that's why the name of the location is on the label for the most part, rather than the name of the grape varietal. Hopefully the answer's...
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. and I love that you just said that because I was going to probe you for it in a minute, but like France, and, and, and you kind of hinted at it. you said, I don't like that Tarazzi is viewed as the Barolo of the South. Well, no, if, if it wanted to be that, it would call itself that. Like it, it's the, the That sense of place is just as strong in Italy as it is in France and other parts of the, uh, uh, of Europe. It, it, the, where if not stronger in, in many situations, it's, you know, where it comes from is just as yeah. important as the grape in the bottle.
2: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, more so I've, uh, over the years, I remember my, my wife grew up in Spain and she can't tell you the grapes in Rioja, but she can tell the difference between Rioja and any other region, you know, and same, I uh, went <laughs> to a friend's house, for uh for dinner, and I I brought her, it was for her, I think like 30th birthday. I brought her a bottle of And one of the friends is dating this guy named from France, and he goes to uh to my wife and he goes, um, or no, he says out loud, he goes, Ah, oh, Shetop is the most famous grape of Burgundy. And um, and then he went to her afterwards, he goes, I know I was, I know I was, I was bushing, but in French, I had to something, but I realized that, man, he sells wine, he knows what he's talking about, you know, um, but there's, there's more of that connection to, like, the, the area, right, like, how many people from Tuscany can tell you the grapes in, in Chianti, you know, or what the blend is, or or does the blend matter, you know, like, they, they're just gonna know.
3: Right, exactly, but because that, that all goes back to, you know, uh, obviously, we've only been a nation for 160 years, so for that reason, prior to that, everybody was, uh, fighting everybody else and was invaded or colonized or culturized by someone else, and for that reason those divisions that have lasted centuries and centuries, today they're still there, obviously less because Italy is a united country, but when you think about the the, the culture, the, 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 the dialect, the feature of the people, and the traditions are dramatically different from one place to another, And and that can be true also within one region like Campania, like, you know, I would never from Salerno, I would never associate myself from somebody from Avellino or somebody from Caserta. The reason being because it could be for soccer reasons, right? We hate each other because of that. It could be also because they are from inland, mountainous area. They have a different lifestyle, different thing. We are, they call us fishermen, right? In a derogatory way, because obviously Salerno is a fishing, traditionally a fishing village. Uh, um, And and, and so it's true for Naples and the other province. The only province that nobody cares about, I think is Benevento, which is the, for some reason you never hear anything about Benevento. Um, Although it's a very, very, very pretty smaller town. Um, and it's actually the one um uh, city in Italy where witchcraft is still a thing, right? So, think about it, it's very fascinating that town. But it's kind of like tucked in in the northeast towards the mountain, so it's like you never hear about it. the other ones are where things gone and uh, people obviously talk about for wine for other, for other reasons,
2: right? I'm, I'm sure people are afraid to say anything about people from Benevento, you know, they're like, <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> been- look out. Strega
3: Nona. she's going to come up for you. <laughs> well, you know, the famous liquor Strega, right, it comes from Benevento. Strega meaning witch, right? Yep. Yeah. But, but um, specifically about the wines, obviously, uh, and uh, I think what makes this region very fascinating is, uh, obviously, many as that wine with him, um, is the fact that Campania... Uh, the the wine production here, yeah, the Falerno del Massico, the, the viticulture obviously is a very ancient thing, you know, almost like three thousand years ago, and there was a moment in history where you know the Falernum, you know, the ancient wine of the area, was the one that uh, all the you know f- famous rich and famous of the era, which really were the noble, you know, the wealthy, obviously the emperors and uh, and whatnot, they would drink. And uh, that reached a certain, an incredible level of importance when you think about it at that time, so like 2000 years ago now, they already had a categor- categorization system, if you will, where it wasn't one Falernum, right? But even Falernum was made in three different styles based on where the, the, the vineyards were located on the hills. Like the best was the, you know, Calchino of the three. And that was the mid slope with southern exposure. Then there was the Faustiano, which was the second best from the high, you know. And then there was the regular generic stuff that was for, you know, for for everybody people everyday people. It was in the bottom of the of the vineyard. So uh, that tells a lot about uh, how much already they took seriously the concept of uh, winemaking, but also quality winemaking way back then.
1: Well, and, and really Falernum cool was thing. taken seriously by by people. I mean, so Falernum is in. Uh, it, you know, you. I mean, Pliny the Elder is not just a, a beer out of California. He was an actual person who was writing, who referenced Falernum in his writing. Uh, Virgil and Horace, uh, when writing their poetry, talked about Falernum. It was a serious, serious wine, beloved by many people. There, there's a cultural impact here, too. Uh, that, yeah,
2: that's yeah. I, think, um, I think Caesar celebrated with Falernum after invading Spain or something like that. Um, so one thing I want to touch on quickly that I think is really interesting if you mentioned we we're talking about the important uh, at aspects of the vineyard you know there was the, the most important was the center of the slope second best was the top of the hill and kind of more of like the gen- generic wines are coming at the bottom of the hill and, and that's just to kind of tie into like Burgundy you know and, and kind of the, the winemaking mentality the best vineyards in Burgundy are in the center of the slope because that's, that's where you have the, the best mix of soil because of erosion, you know, rain comes in, soil goes down. Uh, the top of the slope, is, like in Burgundy, for example, I don't know if it's the same, but maybe you can let us know if it's the same here, but in Burgundy, the top of the slope is all limestone, which makes really linear wines. The middle of the slope is the kind of convergence of the clay and the limestone, which makes the more, the richer, impactful wine. And then the wines at the bottom of the hill, where it's mostly just clay, typically are, are a little more just root forward and simple. I mean, is it, would be kind of the same, the same thing there?
3: Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. But didn't I suggest the idea that the Romans, you know, basically civilized the barbarics that were up there, and basically gave them all that they know? Uh, I, I thought I already mentioned that part. But yes, uh, coming
1: back
2: to what you
3: said, um, you know, those Celts—they were like, you know, fighting in the forests. Finally, you know, the Roman eagle arrived and civilized. And was like, all right, this is what you gotta do with the vineyards. You don't eat. You don't eat the tree. You actually let it grow, some fruit will come out of it, you don't just eat the leaves, my friend, okay, Uh, but, you know, whatever, Uh, so, (laughs) moving on, yes, exactly, uh, true, I mean, that concept is true in any great country, or in any great, uh, obviously, wine territory of the world, where, yes, especially in, in Campania, there's a lot of that element of this kind of a you know the, the 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 mountains, if you will, the land coming from the bottom of the ocean, and eventually with the erosion, many parts of the of the mountains or the, the, the Dolomites eventually sloped down, and they created this uh, very um, uh, they call it um, oh my God, there's a term now escapes me, a chaotic in the in the sense that there is a lot of mixture different elements and and lastly obviously the volcanic element that came to play a big role too so yeah that's that's very common uh from the marine origin to the mountain origin and eventually all mixed in together you find a lot of a Obviously, because you can't. Judge, but yeah, there's a lot of limestone because uh, you know the Apennines. There is obviously elements of clay, sand, the volcanic, a little bit of everything in Campania. Um, But in the case of Falernum specifically, also the uniqueness of that style is that you're also like literally on the water. You're literally on the coast because most of the great expression of ayanico they're inland Campania, right? That might as well be ayanico del Taburno. Which is the DOCG or the Taurasi? They're both by the mountain, at the base of the mountains. Here, instead, you're on the coastline, so it's a very different expression. Um, but the cool thing is, although the historically, supposedly the original Falernum was based on white grapes, because that's what really was more popular at the time, and that is why you know Villa Matilde, which is the winery that we have the wines from here, uh, still makes. Uh, basically a white version of Falernum, because that was the original wine, Uh, although the wines, as you know, were very different at the time. There wasn't like uh, what we're drinking today. They were mixed with uh, the seawater, raisin, you know, spices, honey, all all sorts of things, because obviously the wines were brutal, to say the least, you know? And they had to (laughs) dilute them to make them them enjoyable, right?
2: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I always think it's funny when we talk about like, you know, the wine from centuries ago what the kings were eating drinking maybe 300 years ago would be completely different than than and probably our worst wines today we would enjoy more than the great wines of a of a thousand years ago
3: Right. That, that is why I think uh, when we talk about wine and tradition and uh, what is traditional wine, what is not, whatever, there, there, there's a point because okay. it, there's a limit because you can go traditional 2000 years ago, you can go traditional 10 years ago, you can go everything in between. So it's it's more about understanding that things have changed, you know, people have changed and obviously the, the weather conditions have changed to adapt to what, what is the new, you know, uh, style of the wines, because yeah, if, if you want to talk a traditional, yes, we should put the wines uh, in these wines anyway in amphoras, put them underwater, a- and let it let it age for however long, pull it out, and put a bunch of shit in there, a- and drink it, and 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 be merry, and hopefully you don't choke
1: on it, right? Type of thing. So, um, but <laughs> it, it, it's so true. I mean, you can, and, and what, what's what's so great about wine. In general, not just in Italy, but but in general, is you can hacken back to that tradition in so many ways by still putting your own stamp on it. You know, I'm sure 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 100 years from now, the wines are going to be different. They're going to put a spin on it, but it's still going to be you'll still have that. Old time, whether it's the grape, whether it's the, the the cask you're using, whether it's the blend, whatever, like the, it's the it's traditional, but we're everyone's putting their own stamp on it. it, it it's it's so much fun. Uh, and I think this a good pivot point for us too. Um, traditionally, Chiro just referenced that we're all drinking uh Villa Matilde. N- normally, Manny and I have something, you know, two different items, and where, you know, we, we give you a brief kind of, you know, thirty second to two minute spiel on on the producer because, you know, if we, we we could bog you down, but but today we all have a Villa Matilde wine, which is you know which is new for for the for what we're doing. Uh, I I think it'll be cool to kind of delve a little deeper into into who Villa Matilde is and and why they do what they do and kind of their approach, because I think they, in particular, embody that traditional, you know, they, they, they hack hacking back to that tradition, but they're also doing their own thing in the region and putting their own stamp on, on the on the wine. So we're all drinking Villa Matilde. I have Fiano, Chiaracidia Greco. many you showed the label, but I couldn't read it because words are hard for me. So it's you the, can uh, tell Plerno. Yeah, the Plano de Massico which um i just
2: want to briefly like so many many years ago uh christ i can't think how, how old i am now uh this is the year my wife and i were talking about selling it at this earlier this is the first year that i actually felt my age so i'm like man i'm almost 50 i feel it i'm exhausted but about 12 13 years ago i knew chiro uh, i was working at an italian restaurant in boston called via and, and he used to sell wine to me and he didn't sell me this one because we didn't have it in our portfolio. But I loved, the, I don't think there was anything from Campania at that time in our portfolio, no. um, but I love this winery, and I used to sell this wine back then. It was one of my favorite go-to's because people didn't know it. And what's really cool about you were saying that there's a tradition, but there is there is modernity to it as well, that there is a, a sense of not new world winemaking, but it's much more modern, it's cleaner. And I think for me, the wines of Campania, and this producer in particular, can really bridge that gap between the new world drinker or someone that only likes French wine um, and these wines, and they they connect really well.
3: Yeah, as a matter of fact, we didn't really start selling Campania wines for until about five years ago, which means for the first nine years of my job, I pretended I was from Tuscany. I never said I was from Campania, (laughs) because people are like, oh, from Campania, bring me some wine from Campania. I'm like, "Uh, no, I'm from Tuscany, I'm from Florence. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I almost convinced myself to the point where you know my parents was like, "Oh, you're not our son anymore." Uh, but you know <laughs> th- that happens. Um, no, but it, yeah. So this winery, it's uh, it, it, yeah, it, it, within so many stories and within the history and all that, it, it truly is a pioneer of this specific, uh, the wine that many has specifically, because obviously Fiano di Avellino, Greco di Tufo, Taurasi, there are many producers that made history there, although many producers make the wines, but specifically in the Falerno area, which is uh, we are in Caserta. So we figure Campania, is almost like a triangular region, a very long coastline on one side, and almost like a, a triangle on the opposite side where the mountains are. Here we are in northern Campania in the province of Caserta, and uh, that's where the ancient Agar Falernus, which is this area where the Falernum wines were produced. And the area was in existence for, again, over 2000 years as far as wine production. And it wasn't until Phylloxera finally struck, oh, finally, unfortunately, but it, at the end of its, almost like a, of its rope struck Southern Italy. Uh, because you gotta figure in, in, in Campania, there was a super active wine production because when Phylloxera started hitting all of France and all of Northern Italy, you know, the Southern Italy might as well be Campania, Puglia, there were an Etna, which was very popular at the time. They were pumping like grapes, like there's no tomorrow because they were, you know, basically refurbishing everyone else or refurnishing everyone else. Then eventually, you know, this thing comes down, hits the area, destroys practically 95 or more percent of the vineyards located in the Falerno area. And practically, Falerno, for all intents and purposes, goes extinct. There's no more production, nobody's doing anything anymore. Again, the territory was small to start with, until about 70, and this is the beginning of the 1900s, right? until about 70 years later in the 1970s, practically this gentleman, uh, whose name is Francesco Paolo Avallone uh, he is he's a, he's a lawyer, um, and he also teaches Roman history at the University of Naples. And uh, he's very passionate, obviously, about history and blah, 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 whatever. And he decided to bring back, you know, this ancient tradition, this ancient winemaking of the area. But obviously, that comes with a lot of work, immense amount of work, because now you don't necessarily, obviously, you go by some ancient documents, you know, what, what was there, what was actually planted. Um, and, and supposedly, the white grape was Falangina, although very unique Falangina of the area. The reds, supposedly, a Janico, And practically... He does an, an immense amount of work with the University of Naples to go and scout you know, anybody in the area that has vines that uh, obviously didn't survive 2,000 years, but vines that they, they were not killed by phylloxera, and so they find that material in people's backyards where people had vines that for some reason survived, and from there they do a lot of you know genetic studies and and uh, you know. Um, and one one research, and then they start replanting the area. So they are the pioneer. Today, figure that the area, I think there's like five, produ- five six producers, is very, very tiny, no matter what. That's why Villa Matilde eventually also moved uh, as far as the winery, also into Irpinia and the Benevento area, which is where the most say, famous Campanian wines come from. But this, the, the, their, their history is quite incredible. Um, and supposedly, before um, Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon River, right, when he decided to attack Rome, and they said that the dice cast, right? The dice is cast, he supposedly drank a glass of Falerno. So figure that, right? Quite amazing. Um, but yeah, great, great family. And um, we have three different expression ourselves here. So you have Fiano, I got Greco. And many has got the, the the red wine. You can tell he's a brute. He's not an elegant, refined person. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm uh, yeah. I'm going out. I'm going out to the mountains later on tonight. So this is going to be great because it's you know it's been like warm. It's been gorgeous, and every time my family and I decide we're going to get an Airbnb and just kind of get away for a long weekend, it's always rainy and cold. Always. So everyone can thank me and my family for the bad weather this this weekend, but I thought this one would work well. Now I'm curious, um, you know, I have my kind of thoughts on on, on Alianico or, Al, or, well, let's talk pronunciation, because in the United States, it's not obviously Aglianico. Uh, we typically say Alianico, but it's pronounced Aglianico, right? Like the G and the L makes like a soft Y sound. Cool. Um, but um, I have my my uh, intake on, on on the grape Alianico and uh the red foot, I think where it comes from. But yep. um, how would you, from your experience, um, not just internationally, like uh, how it fits or, or the flavor profiles you find out of it, but even within the region itself, because I've never had, I've never had a you know, Falerno from from anybody else other than from uh, Villa Matilda.
3: Yeah, obviously what changes and what makes a Giannico different, I and mean, what makes a Giannico great first and foremost is the fact that a is a, is a is a great variety that, pro, that creates wine that can age very long time, right? And uh, and it typically likes uh, inland area, likes cooler areas. Like you know, in Irpina, it's you're the base of the mountains. The vineyards are located around the, between five and seven hundred meters. So continental climate, very different situation going on. But at the same time, in <clears throat> there, it's where a takes more of a sharp edge in the sense it's got very massive tannic structure very high acid tones and plenty of fruit, you know, like dark berry fruit, obviously, you know, varies depending on producer and style. In here in the, in the area of Falernum, things are very different because of, of uh, being very close to the Mediterranean Sea, practically on the coast. Uh, the vineyards are maybe if they get up to 150 meters so and the conditions are much more Mediterranean where you know much milder conditions longer growing season and all those things that are you know very different within one region because you have continental year and so they're two very different expressions and also the fact the blending fact because in, in Taurasi inland Campania you can still blend you know up to 15 percent of other stuff but most of the times people go for pure you know, 100% ayanico based wines versus here is the typical blend having Piedirosso, which is kind of like plays the role of like Canaiolo in Tuscany in the Chianti world kind of softens up the wine where, you know, Sangiovese or Iannico in this case can be a bit edgy, you know, a little bit brute in, in its tannic, uh, you know, intensity and also high acid. And Piedir also gives that element of softness. It kind of smooths things and it gives a little bit more rounder mouthfeel. And it's also because Piediro also tends to be a grape rival that is traditionally planted along the coast of of, uh, of Campania. So there's, there's a dual element, uh, but these are definitely wines that are definitely more about uh, soft, and
2: uh, you know, and uh, roundness rather than the more structured and powerful than you find inland Campania. So I'm not. I'm not. That's not that much of being a brute if it's soft and and elegant. But, but it reminds me also, like how um, in the United States, because we're so vital dependent in the way the laws work, it says Cabernet. It's not necessarily 100% Cabernet. Um, Merlot is oftentimes added to to add a little more fleshy fruit and to to relax some of the acidity and some of the tannic structure. Um, what I think is really cool because typically in wine growing regions, I find in general where grapes grow, food doesn't grow. But it seems like this is an area where you can grow grapevines next to tomatoes, which is yeah. really, I think, really unique.
3: Yeah, tomatoes and uh, in some areas. But here, for example, these areas in the north, especially inland, you find uh, chestnuts in the season. You find lots of hazelnuts. Obviously, many mushrooms are all over the place. It's very promiscuous. In Campania, that's why also maybe the wines are not uh, as um, popular internationally or not as recognized compared to other regions of Italy. Because first of all, production overall, when you compare Campania to say Piedmont, or Veneto or Sicily, it's, it's much, much, much smaller. And in reality, a lot of producers are very tiny wineries, like family operations. Most of them are family operations, but there's a couple that are bigger. And the the majority they own maybe two hectares, you know, obviously average. Um, so for that reason, you're gonna have a very tiny productions with a lot of these people. Not only they're arguing with their next door neighbor every other minute. Together with that, they're very small to bring uh, the. What what benefited the wines of Campania internationally was the fact that so many people from Campania, like me, and prior, obviously many years prior to me, they migrated right they moved to other areas because uh, the region was very wealthy pre unification uh, according to documentation history and then it became extremely depressed post you know unification also because the world changed right uh, there was a time where southern italy because of where it's located every, and all the trades were happening by boat right along the mediterranean then later as they start building the the highways railways obviously planes come into play and all that Campania becomes, then southern Italy in general, becomes depressed because you have nowhere else to go other than in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, right? If you go south. Versus the north, which was real poor, became much more industrialized. And obviously that opened, up. totally flipped things the way they were prior to that moment. So for that reason, that's why sometimes the wines are still not out there as much. And there's also the element where some of the territories, like I said, Fiano di Avellino, Greco di Tufo. I mean, Greco di Tufo is the second smallest appellation of Italy. So, I mean, obviously it's a heavily um, planted because there's a lot of vines per hectare, but in reality it's a second small as far as territory. So when you think about that fact, you, you're not gonna have a lot of wine. You can't expect to find great, although there was a moment of maybe about 15 years ago, Greco Intufo seemed to be popping up in places, but the, the production is what it is. And obviously Italy has so many grapes where not every grape can become you know something for everybody. So
1: that so, was that's nervous there. For a minute quick man i yeah, was nervous there for a minute he was talking about the land being promiscuous so i thought we were pivoting back to I was make a proper comment yeah yeah i, I lost <laughs> track I
3: don't want to
1: point in that
3: conversation <laughs> no but if you go oh, in
2: that chair that's what you're drinking you see,
3: you see the, the, the 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 picture of the vineyards you can go and uh, you can go online and you're going to see there's going to be like the the tall chestnut trees there can be, like, uh, rows of vines. There can be all sorts of other vegetation. Obviously, because the soil, it is very, very fertile, very rich. And like to uh, obviously nutrients and minerals coming from the many volcanic eruptions and whatnot. And, and so people are still planting a lot of different things. Those are areas where buffaloes, right? The, the water buffaloes, the famous, uh, you know, they make the mozzarella out of the milk. So, you know, yes, things are very promiscuous as far as many different things going on.
2: Yeah. So you were, because we were just talking about Greco de Tufo, Chiro. you have the Greco de Tufo, right? Yes, I do. It's
3: the, yes, yeah, from the Altavilla property, yeah.
2: So how would you describe, for people that are not familiar with, with so look just quickly, like, Alianico has this kind of, you know, even though this is a little rounder with the Piedra Rosa, just to kind of put in context for people to understand if they've never had one before, what to expect, you know, but you get some nice acidity, some tannic structure, really in fruit. Um, I suppose maybe that's why they would, compare it to burlow of the South, because you find, at least with, I find in general, kind of this rich irony and you you can, it smells kind of chalky, the wines. Um, but for international purposes, I would say kind of link this somewhere in between the tannic structure of Bordeaux with the acidity of Burgundy, and they kind of fall in between. Like with Greco with de Tufo, how would you how would you describe the wine to someone who's it's, never um,
3: it's a fascinating grape it's considered to be one of the great white grapes because it has a terrific aging potential as well when you make the wines and obviously this is 2019 so it's very young but uh, you can open but greco it's very unique because it's got a very bushy big bunch you know with a long ear typically on the side and has a, a very fairly thick skin with a lot of polyphenols or phenolics so it's Mm -hmm. typically a white grape that delivers into the wine a lot of almost like tannic structure meaning that ultimately when you drink the wine you're going to find quite a bit of texture which is not so common with many italian whites also because obviously italian whites are not typically aged in wood they're the most part stainless steel or bottle refined and that so they're very beautiful wines but they're you know more clean simple you know, depending on what it is, versus Greco Tufo, instead it is more, compared to the Fiano, it is more the structure, it is more the phenolic of the two, it is a, a varietal that tends to, depending upon where the vineyards are located, it um, tend to oxidize easily, it doesn't mean necessarily it goes, you know, bad, but the color, you could open a young bottle of Greco di Tufo and you can have this uh, Uh, almost like golden color, right, because just the nature of the varietal tends to oxidize and the territory is small because the wine is produced basically in the province of Avellino and other seven neighboring towns, one one being Tufo itself, which is Tufo is considered to be the, the Grand Cru, for the production of the wine. That's why in this case, you have a, 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 the name is Greco, the grape and Tufo being the town, because it's the Grand Cru where the soils are of facious origin, right? As a matter of fact, in the area, there's a lot of the, uh, the sulfur mines. You look at these rocks, they're all yellow in color. There's this is like, uh, you know, huffing and puffing of the sulfur mines. And, uh, and practically, that gives the wine an incredible minerality in some cases. And there are a couple of sites or a couple of towns, one being Tufo, the other one being um, Santa Paulina, and then there's a third one called the um, Montefiascone, which are basically the crew areas. But the wines, again, the wines for stru- with structure. So if you do like, uh, um, uh, I, I don't wanna say Chardonnay by any means, but I don't know what I would compare it with, internationally speaking, but something that is a bit more structure, a bit more lingering flavor on the palate, Obviously the fruit profile is a lot of stone fruit. When you think about, the, you know, like a peach, apricot, you know, that kind of a nuance. And there's a lot of almond character, especially as the wine is you getting almost like a toasted um, almond, you know, hazelnut flavor. Uh, but the wines are very, very beautiful, um, especially with food in Campania, we take food very seriously. We really don't, you know, around. Uh, with food. Um, so that's uh, <laughs> that was my own beef, you know? Um, oh, and because, you know, again, you have so much uh, so much crustaceans and shellfish and obviously white meat. I mean, I'm from Salerno, we eat a lot of pork. In you know, Nothing goes to waste, many different preparations. I think Gregory Dufo could be a terrific wine to drink with uh, some pork chop, sausages, whatever preparation of pork, obviously grilled, simple, nothing like uh, c- complicated, you know, if you will.
1: It's it, So I have the Fiano, um, and I, I, I'm going to hop in just because you said that because I love – so I, I was so happy actually the two of you did the Fiano to drink today because I really wanted to drink it, so it, it made my life that you chose not to. I love Fiano. Um, so I've, I brought this up before. I love white wines that just destroy my teeth. And make me sensitive for like the next three weeks because the acidity is so high and racy. And um Fiano to me is this racy um just racy white wine. And
2: uh oh, he froze.
1: Racy. <laughs> well with the fatty kind of simple preparations that <laughs> to me and, I, I, and I, just, I just apparently lost all of you. So what do I have to, I have to say? Uh, were you
2: were at uh, racy acidity, and then you went like this. And you stayed like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm not going to... That That's amazing. going to keep that in.
1: <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the joys of recording a podcast on Zoom, keep the whole thing in. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, the, the those racy... Uh, High acid white wines. They go well with fatty foods, kind of like what Chero was just talking about. And the, the Fiano is no different. Um, I mean, <laughs> for this, I, I thought I just froze again because oh, you neither no, of you moved for no. a second there. Um, the, 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 this Fiano, um, again, the, the acidity is just raging. many that's not funny. <laughs> Freaking me out, bro. <laughs> you know, Chero, like 20 minutes ago, called me refined. And what not because I was drinking the Fiano and you're yes. going and ruining it. <laughs> I'm
2: a barbarian.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, uh, so uh, if, just if you like high acid, and when we say high acid, acidity is the sensation that makes your mouth water. Right, it, it can it can lend itself to sourness if the wine's not balanced. Think biting, in, think lemonade, biting into a lemon. That that you're that puckering, but that's acid at work. Um, but when the wine is balanced, you, you get that lovely mouth watering sensation without that total sourness that kind of makes your mouth pucker. Um, and why I love I love white wines like that. Why I love this Fiano. It has that racy uh, acidity, that 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 minerality, um, and whatnot. But it's it, it has some body to it, which you don't always get with those high acid wines. You get uh, th- there's a floral component to it, which is really pretty. Uh, I actually get the same kind of hazelnut note that Manny said he was getting on his Greco. I get a little bit of that I- I- in the Fiano, which is really cool. You don't get that all the time, and that's place and terroir and in Campania and Avellino in particular. It's just it's. It's it's really cool, Uh, and you know I I don't like comparing, especially Italian wines to you know um, to other varietals because I mean if they wanted to make Sauvignon Blanc they would right they're making Fiano if they wanted to make Chardonnay they would but they're not Uh, but for for me if you like those um, really uh, if you like those refreshing wines that have a little more weight to them depending on where they come from in the world uh you know it's to to me um it's a it's a bad comparison but Macon village where you have that body but you have that high acid structure the fruit profile is different but the weight and the 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 structure is very similar um i think it'll be something that you'd like to try and experiment with. And again, that's without you having never tried a a, a fiano before. If you like Macon, if you like wine in the style of Macon, you might like fiano. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a yeah. Good no, I agree. I would say
3: for you, for, for, for whomever picking up uh, picking up a bottle of wine or whatever it might be Sauvignon Blanc. I don't know. Put that down, pick up a ball, fiano. Although it might be f- hard to find in a store because maybe they have one, maybe they don't. It's not necessarily something that appears commonly everywhere. But please do, do try because I think you'll be... Totally impressed. I mean, I love Fiano, obviously. Uh, I enjoy Greco a lot too, but Fiano is probably my favorite overall. Uh, and the value at the end of the day, doesn't matter the producer, for the most part, anyhow, the value is terrific for what you're getting into that bottle. You know, the, the complexity together with the vibrant, high toned, high refined acidity, it just makes it, I think, a fantastic wine to enjoy, but mo- most importantly, Yes, food wine, there's not many that can do such a great job as Piano di Avellino. So, um, you know, I think it's something definitely worth uh, checking out.
2: Yeah. And I think even like you were talking about, you know, pork and uh, you know pork chops and being a, a very classic dish in um, or pork based food in Campania. But I would say, honestly, when you get a good fatty cut of meat, like steak, and you have a wine, nipples <laughs> at the table, is that what that says? Um, but when you get in Naples... At-
3: yeah, I was going to tell you, sorry to interrupt, I was going to tell you the story of the Putanesca. <laughs> <laughs> just to bring it back to the ruffle. <laughs> yes,
2: exactly.
3: Yeah, we, we have a very colorful language, obviously, right? So um, I suggest this book, although I don't sell the book, but I just suggest this book for anybody who wanted to dig into the food of Campania. It's terrific. From Actually, they break down province by province so there are dishes which are from Avellino dishes from Benevento, Caserta, Naples whatever and and the specific cuisine because even within one region you can have so much diversity and obviously it's got pizza in the front which you know as a proud companion I couldn't live without.
2: (laughs) So if you could tell us one dish from one dish from your home that would work with the the piano d'Avolino, what would it be?
3: Like, like uh,
2: some, some kind of like like memory dish from when you were a kid.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, one of my, my uh, uh, ultimate memories of food, uh, obviously my mom is a fantastic cook and she cooks every day. She still does that every day. For my, pa- for my father, they can't even put the pot of water on the stove and forget about cooking. Um, although he seems to believe that he can do it. But anyway... <laughs> Um, when I would go, obviously go away to work for a season and come back, one of the dishes that I loved most was the risotto alla pescatore, right? The seafood risotto, and because in Campania or along the Mediterranean coast, anyway, in general we have so many different types of shellfish. It ain't just about mussels and clams, but you have razor clams, you got all sorts of other things that are not common here, but they're very delicious. And, uh, and I always ask my mother, that was my comeback type of dish, right? Someone like say I went to war, you come back. The one thing, the last thing you want to try was risotto la pescatora, which is this kind of a wonderful sea salty, you know, uh, flavors, right? And uh, iodine quality and whatnot. And I think a wine like Fiano di Avellino, which has complexity, is also talking about risotto, which has richness. In that case, there's no butter, obviously, because it's seafood. We, we refute the butter, that's something of the northerners, those wild animals, right? So <laughs> we, for, for us, it's all about olive oil and a nice risotto la pescatora, you know, very clean, eh? but still flavorful and rich. I think the Fiano does a terrific job in my poor man's food experience here.
2: <laughs> awesome. Yes. So- I don't know i think that i think this is a, a great place to 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 i don't know what do you think adam to, to kind of wrap it up and and tie it together because i think just in general with with all these wines are great food wines you know because of the acidity the minerality and um i wouldn't typically do a companion red with with um seafood but i might do yeah. it with the risotto you're talking about just because of the creamy texture you get just from the, the rice as you stir it you know um but I might grill up some pork chops tonight and and have this have this bottle. Yeah, I
3: mean, obviously the reds, they need different cuisine, but like in, in, in England and Campania, they have a lot of preparations with the pork, but in tomato sauce, right? Yeah. So we have a, a, that type of dish, we do a la pizzaiola, which is basically meat cooked in tomato sauce with garlic and oregano. It's very simple, but very, very tasty. If you like dry oregano, you know, that aroma, and a wine like the one you have, with something like that, very simple but different taste profile with this acid from the sauce. I think it's a, it's also a great dish. And obviously, there's a lot of a you know, the Sunday ragu, the typical Neapolitan Sunday ragu with all the you know guts and meats and sausages and things, everything thrown in the tomato sauce, it cooks for four hours. You gonna have this very important, you know, powerful flavor. Um, but if I can leave you with one saying, which is typical of Campania. Oh. This might destroy the whole thing. That, uh, we have a saying that uh, says "Bacco, tabacco e Venere rendono l'uomo in cenere," which basically rhymes, right? Which means Bacchus, tabacchus, you know, tobacco, and Venus turn the man turn man into ashes, which obviously is easily understood. What are the three things that destroy man, right? Uh, <laughs> Well, obviously, uh, uh, wine, uh, liquor, in exaggeration, or wine, whatever, Bacchus, right? Uh, tobacco, and then Venus women, right? So those are the th- three things
1: that might kill you.
2: <laughs> bringing it right back, bringing it right back to the brothels.
1: <laughs> back to the brothels. Luckily, there are no women on this podcast. We we, we out. Um, well,
2: that's our fan base: is uh, uh, women uh, from Canada and Germany, a couple. <laughs>
1: Well, it's true, but you know what? Chiro said it's so all we'll get away with it, it'll be totally okay.
2: Exactly. So
1: <laughs> Normally, Manny and I would try and be really witty right now and pivot to what we're talking about next time. Uh, but we haven't fully d- decided yet. I think we're going to stay in Italy, but where we'll actually go, it'll be someplace where we don't need Chiro to, to, to talk about uh, cogently. Um, but in, in that moment, I, I do. Um, in in a uh, uh, real heartfelt, and oh my god, I might even pronounce that word correctly there. I, that, well, I, I'm ruining the moment by 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 pointing that out. But a heartfelt thank you to Chiro for for coming on and in, in 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 talking with us. Uh, it, 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 one, I mean, it's this is where you're from, so it means a lot to you. Uh, the the wealth of knowledge, I mean, it's 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 more than than we could have given truly, and and you know you know, sharing that, that part of you. Cause, cause this is, this is a big part of you. The wine from where you're from is a, is a huge part of you. And it just, it, it means a lot. Wine's an emotional experience. Um, I say it over and over and over again. And and sharing that kind of, you know, like I'm, um, I, I love Fiano for lots of reasons. Uh, it, it, it's different to me now, you know, hearing your story. My, so full disclosure, Nana, my Nana is from Campania. So she's from Naples. So that you know, I I have that, but um Nana didn't drink when when you know when she was around when I was around, so I, I didn't have that, but um I do have that, so I have that connection. Like this is she's not here anymore, but I have her through through wine, which is really weird, but 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 makes sense to me. So sure. um just sharing the story and, and, and your knowledge, you know, and, and illuminating it, it's it's so great because I would have been Completely winging it, to be, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. So thank you so much. I mean, it's uh, and uh, you know, I, I joke, I, I said, you know, I, I made the ego comment in the beginning, and I made it jokingly, but it, it's oh, that's know, fine. For, I I know you don't care, which is why I made it. But for for anyone still listening, I mean, Chiro really is i the um, it, it is it's a privilege uh to to you know to have you here and to work with you, here and sharing your knowledge. Uh, It is, you are, uh, you know, you you are one of the foremost Italian wine people, not just in the state we're in Massachusetts, but around, period. Uh, And it's a privilege to to have you here and talk with you and work with you and call you a friend and all that stuff. So thank you so much for being (laughs) here. It was awesome. Uh,
2: You truly are the, uh, you truly are la bella Catarina. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: Well, don't get me started, because otherwise I can go on with that. But uh, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate being uh, being here, and you guys are thinking of me, and obviously talking about Campania specifically, which is uh, my my homeland and my region specifically, and. Uh, And, you know, sharing some of the passion and hopefully the wines and and like I said, anybody should taste the wines of Campania, I think they really fall in love with it because there's so much diversity from the simplest, the complex, the reds, whites, and they make sparkling rosé and everything in between sweet wines, especially with Fiano and Greco as well. But outside of that, thank you for having me. If if, If it made you feel more comfortable next time, you can borrow my apron. Uh, if you want to feel a bit more Italian hood, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> other than that, thank you. Going back to workout, you know, keep the chest up here.
2: So I, ju- I just want to point out too, for those of you that will listen on Spotify, which is going to be most people, Chero's apron is the uh, is Michelangelo's David um, to scale, and well, probably not to scale because I think it was a pretty big statue, but um, but it is anatomically correct. Um, are you so, asking to see the rest? <laughs> I think that's a good point. Uh, you can stand up. I think that's a good point to, to <laughs> see you next week. Thanks for joining us on Bottom of the Bottle. Uh, cheers, everyone. Cheers. you can stand up now.
0: <laughs> Salute. <laughs> Salute.
1: i I do want to point out that the the guy with the awful boston accent and the unkempt facial hair and the ponytail was called sophisticated in this podcast and Manny was called the barbarian just (laughs) just want to throw that out there for everyone to know you guys see that I would, I would say I'm not wearing pants, but I already got up
2: earlier and danced, so you guys know By the way,
3: that music is terrible. You should have asked me about finding a folkloristic song. Oh, that, that, I don't That song sounds like the 1920s, there. Yeah, this
2: uh, yeah, just, just makes me think of like the pizza, I think it was like, Shakey's pizza when I was a kid. And, uh, I know,
3: I wanted to turn so the avenue and be in front of like, to Avi
0: è sei di in non dovrei. Ti voglio bene, bene, voglio assai, perché tu sei tutta la vita mia. I subito ora mondo pallino, da c'ho portato una bella gallina, Catarina, Catarina, sotto io regastongo qui. La già portata non fare cazzino, non fare mutante non sotto cazzone tenga pure non mandolina per ah, ah, ah. la portana per la canzone. A Giussa potuto la zita mia, la tene tutta neura, la cionera, ha già cattato stupello pennello. I'm going la già la bella the hospital, I'm going to go che the hospital, I'm going to go to the hospital, I'm qui. to go to the hospital, I'm going to go to the hospital, I'm